Hey, Sober Girls. Every life choice you make has an impact, and some choices are just easier than others. An easy choice for me has been adding Exact Nature CBD into my daily routine. Exact Nature's products can help curb cravings while promoting the positive changes in mood, focus, and my favorite, sleep. These are all part of getting and staying sober. They're available in oils, soft gels, and gummies, and in varying strengths and formulas. What I love most about Exact Nature is I know the quality is top tier and safe because their products are made by people in recovery for people in recovery. Go to exactnature.com to get 20% off your order. Use code SOBERGIRL20 at checkout. Being positive is a choice. Exact Nature just makes it easier. Welcome to a Sober Girl's Guide podcast, a lifestyle podcast based on sobriety and recovery. I'm your host and sober girl, Jessica Jabot. Inspired by my own sobriety and wellness journey, I want to spread the wealth of knowledge. Tune in each week for uncensored conversations about mental health, self-development, wellness and spirituality, and how they influence each guest's unique recovery journey. My goal is to educate and inspire and to let you know you are not alone on your recovery journey. Thanks so much for tuning in to a Sober Girls Guide podcast. Let's go! Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 63 of a Sober Girls Guide podcast. On today's episode, I have Dan the Man, the founder of Tantalus Labs, and we talk all things cannabis. Dan is sober himself, and he walks us through his recovery journey. We also answer the age-old question, are you still considered sober if you smoke pot? I asked Dan all the questions, and he gives me all the answers and more. Dan is a cannabis king, and he is here to give, to dispel all the myths and give you the facts. So let's get into it. Holy Dinah Shore, it is no booze November. That's right, new month, new goals, new you possibly? It's no booze November, and if you want to see what you can gain from going booze-free, or if you're already living that alcohol-free life and you want some extra motivation, this challenge is for you. You will be armed with two daily worksheets to track your habits, plan, and reflect on each day. You will also get the good stuff right to your inbox. Keep you motivated, educated, and inspired for the next 30 days. If you want to gain better sleep, mental clarity, focus, energy, just the tip of the iceberg, really, in just 30 days, you will have it all to gain. Join the 30-day gain challenge. No one ever regretted not drinking. Head to a sobergirlsguide.com to sign up today. Dan the man. How's it going? I am great and I'm so excited to talk to you about the cannabis industry and about your recovery journey. And I know I have a huge question to ask you, but let's get, let's start off, you know, take us back in time to your recovery and 
sobriety and if you could take us through that journey of how it was that is so awesome and you know full disclosure i'm definitely on my own program i kind mm -hmm. of you know have been figuring this out uh my own way and and doing it in a, in a probably a kind of an unorthodox way and uh you know i don't i don't claim to be a perfect guru on how to live your life or how to be sober or anything of that nature but it's working for me and has been working now for the last seven years uh wow may, yeah super super cool on on may 5th uh, i guess mm -hmm. 2012 uh, I'd come from a background where, you know, alcohol was certainly socially tolerated um, mm -hmm. in school and with my family. And uh, I actually have a have a younger sibling who had decided to to go through the twelve step program a few years prior to that, and okay. she she really uh, seen some amazing changes in her life. And I think for me. Uh, I, don't, I don't think you could put me into a, a problem drinker category. There wasn't really any explicit evidence that um, alcohol was hurting my ability to live my life or hurting my ability to do my job or interact with friends and family. I also came from a professional background in finance that really encouraged alcohol use uh, in the social context. And so it was, it was sort of a subtle, a subtle issue in my life that I, I don't think I was really ready to confront in my early 20s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I also, I also played rugby, uh, both in, at a club level and at a university level and, and the rugby culture here in British Columbia is certainly synonymous with alcohol consumption and celebrating with alcohol. And, uh, I, I just started this crazy journey with Tantalus Labs mm -hmm. and so, somehow in my head, I had it in my head that I, I needed to evolve into this CEO character, the CEO figure. And it was mm. going to require some changes in my behavior in terms of, you know, leadership and in, in terms of team building. But I, I always had it in my head that this guy was going to be sober somehow. I don't know. It was just this like Interesting. Subtle, subtle dream, I think. And so after, after, you know, a, a weekend of consuming alcohol and feeling a little bit grumpy, perhaps a little bit dejected, perhaps a little bit intimidated. I was like, you know what? I just really don't need to do this anymore. I think I'm going to stop at least for a while. And the okay. first thing I did was was call my parents and say, look, I'm going to give it a go to stop drinking. And then once I've done that, my parents and I have a really close relationship. Yeah. Uh, and I knew that they would hold me to account. And yeah. it, it was, it was uh, then, you know, I, I immediately, and this is one of the places where it might be a little bit contrarian, threw myself back into um, the same sort of social scene and the same party scene that I'd been in historically, but just mm -hmm. told everybody that I just wasn't going to be drinking. And oh. so that is something that I think it was a bit of a crucible for the first few weeks. But as soon as I realized that I could have a lot of fun with my friends and they, they respected my choices not to drink, uh, yeah. It became a lot easier for me. I actually had a lot more fun, and I was, you know, okay. still. I really love dance music. I really love, uh, you know, socializing and being able to do all of those things and sort of have longevity through the evening, and then wake up the next morning fresh as a daisy. Uh, it was, it was like a, a, a cheat code. I felt like it was like a secret yeah. that I unlocked, and uh, yeah, it's been, it's been 
seven years, two of those years, actually two and a half of those years, I was completely sober from everything. I didn't have any mind altering substances aside from perhaps coffee. Uh, okay. And then I've actually reintegrated some cannabis use back into my life, which I also know can be a contentious issue for many people that are sober. It works for me. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's something that I, I can use in moderation and can use, I think, to actually enhance my personal life. And, and that's partly to do probably with my brain chemistry and how I react to cannabinoids. But uh, yeah, it's it's been such uh, an amazing journey. And I think the greatest value proposition that sobriety has brought to me is that I'm a lot more emotionally stable. I don't really feel uh, like unwarranted fear. I don't feel like unwarranted emotional instability for the most part. Mm. And of course, sobriety also isn't a cure-all and you're still going to have tough days. But I feel like when I face those tough days, I can do it uh, with a stable mind with a with a stable predisposition and uh it's it's just been really hugely rewarding for me i'm so i'm so lucky wow i mean i think it's amazing that you just went about as like scheduled regular scheduled programming and jumped kind of back into your regular social scene what was that like telling your friends was there any pushback from them yeah, definitely. Um, and I will say that there are some friends in my life uh, that I've sort of edited out of my circle because they mm-hmm. didn't quite understand it. And I mean, even to this day, when people realize, yeah. you know, especially people I don't know very well, that I'm at a party and I'm not drinking, uh, they can, they're, they're sort of like, well, why don't you drink? And there's this whole sort of Spanish Inquisition that goes on. Yeah. But, um, you know, being being an entrepreneur, being a CEO, being the kind of person that I am anyway, I don't have a huge amount of concern for, you know, what other people think about, you know, how I should live or, or what I should do. So usually I just sort of throw it off and don't don't really answer and just say, ah, it's all good. Let's just have fun type of thing. But occasionally okay. when people really push the issue, I'm, I'm happy to say, hey, I don't know if you know this, but like, I think that alcohol is kind of a scam. And I think that we've been socially conditioned to, you know, enjoy this substance when none of us really do enjoy it. It's supremely you know, detrimental to our health. It costs a huge amount in healthcare costs. Uh, every year people die, you know, it's, it's not really the best substance to be taking. And so that, that always is a bit of a, it's a like, awesome <laughs> moment. Just like drop that right in their drink. And they're like, Oh, really? Like, that's what you think? Um, but yeah, that, that was challenging. Cheers. Yeah. Yeah, cheers, cheers. Cheers to soda water. Um, <laughs> it was certainly challenging in the beginning, but like, it's a good challenge. It was a good challenge for me to have taken on because once I realized that I could do all of the things that I like to do and socialize and like music is a huge part of my life. It's something I've really enjoyed like my whole life, especially dance music. And so like, once you realize that you can have just as much fun, if not more fun doing all those things and then still, you know, have your Sunday morning, uh, to, to have a, to have a quiet, fun space. Like, uh, mm. it's, 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 it's just a, a, a threshold I needed to cross. And then I never really looked back. Yeah, absolutely. I love how you said uh, that CEO character, character, when you stepped into that character, it's like, I don't really care what people think. Like, I don't have time to really give a shit what other people think. It's, how did you I mean, get I, there? That's yeah. like the secret sauce, I think. It, it might be. And it's so easy to say, like, mm-hmm. are we allowed to swear on this podcast? I'm going to swear. Oh, it's hell like, yeah. The not give a fuck, like, you know, Eminem raps about not giving a fuck. We all wish that we didn't give a fuck at all. And right. un- unfortunately, like, you do. You, you seek 
I think everyone seeks validation from the people around them, especially people close in their circle. And perhaps like that's the distinctive thing is there's probably like five or seven people in my life that I really do care about their opinions. Like if, if my mom tells me that I'm off track, if my mom tells me that I'm fucking up, then like I really take that to heart and I take it seriously. But right. I, I don't really offer that authority to just general people around in my life. And in the age of social media, in the age of like external validation, really driving so much of our dopamine and endorphins and all those things that kick off when people give you a, give you a like on Twitter or something like that, it, it can be really difficult. But when I started in the cannabis industry, it was in 2012. And that was at a time when we just seen the beginnings of new government documentation, government um, recommendations to create a commercial cannabis industry. And it was, it was a very, I would say, risky and contentious career move to yeah. go from, I was working in finance. I was the director of investor relations for a, a large tech company and I was you know, making a great salary. I wore a suit every day. I had status. I had a title. And to mm -hmm. then leave that position and go into cannabis that it really, like I could see the found, the foundation of what, you know, has become an amazing industry, but I didn't really talk about it that much for probably the first year, the first 18 months. And then when okay. I did start to talk about it, people, you know, were generally opposed. They were generally like, this sounds like a ridiculous idea. Like this sounds like very, you know, you should go back to management consulting. You should go back to, to focusing on what you're really good at. Yeah. And so you have to learn pretty quickly that people won't see the same vision that you see. And if you see an, an, a contrarian vision and mm -hmm. a vision that's off the beaten path, you, you've got to follow that without really the roar of the crowd supporting you. And so, yeah. you know, it's, it's, I think it's a gradual thing uh, that you, you sort of evolve over time, but the general, general public you know, they're, they're on their own programs and they're figuring stuff out for themselves. And I think, you know, the more you can go your own way in life and trust your instincts, the worst thing that can happen when you trust your instincts is that your instincts are wrong. And then you learn yeah. and then you say, right. oh, my instincts are wrong on that. And, and so now I know that I, I shouldn't follow that particular instinct. And all the while you're honing your correct instincts, your insightful instincts. And uh, that, that to me has been a really important part of this journey because, you know, the cannabis no, nobody is going to tell you how to run a cannabis company effectively because no cannabis companies have ever existed before. Right. So, you know, it's a whole new era and, and we have to take on new insights and, and new perspectives in order to make it work. Mm -hmm. Do you think those insights and that intuition that you speak of, do you think that's been sharpened and heightened because maybe you are sober? Dude, like so much and sober, like sober itself, yeah. I believe comes from like maybe a turn of the century or, or World War One, World War Two. son of a bitch, everything's real. That's <laughs> I, I think that that's the actual acronym, son of a bitch, everything's real. Just wake up <laughs> from not being drunk anymore and you're, and you're, you're not drunk. So that I think is the, that's the trade-off. If, if you yeah. want to have... That, that level of stability, that level of confidence that comes, you, you're not eroding your confidence with those hangovers and with alcohol, then mm. it's going to get really real. It's going to get really real for you. And you, you've got to look at the world and take it as objectively as you can. And sometimes that reality can be incredibly distilling. It can be beautiful to see like real truth and, and to understand things from a, from a better 
perspective of objectivity and, and it's harder to escape. It's harder to do escapism. Like when you drink a few beers, you can just have an immediate, you know, change in your perspective. Well, if you yeah. want to get that change in perspective when you're sober, you have to actually seek out things like exercise, seek out things like meditation, seek out things, you know, like creativity that will gradually over the course of an hour or a few hours, they'll get you into a better mind space. And that takes work. And, yeah. and so it's not an automatic, like free pass to getting a change in perspective. But once you master that, like once, once you're on the path to mastering that, that emotion, you can look at stuff and you can look at the harsh realities of, of what a potential risk profiling management or like a strategic choice might imply. And there's nothing that's costless. I mean, especially in business, there's nothing that's mm -hmm. you know, an obvious choice that has, you know, rainbows and, and unicorns at the end of that choice, you're always going to have to weigh pros and cons, cost benefit, you know, these, these things that we, we sort of think through in a management perspective. Um, but doing that with a sober thought, I mean, that's, we use the phrase sober second thought to actually, you know, vet your ideas against other people in your enterprise that might be able to give you insight as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think when you, when you really have that objectivity and there's no chance for escapism, that reality can be such a powerful tool and is so important for business leaders. And I think the trend of sobriety in business leaders is becoming, you know, way more ubiquitous than it was when I, when I started and I'm seeing, maybe it's just because I'm paying attention now, but I see so many people that at least abstain from alcohol and mind altering substances and it, it's made them better leaders and, and made them more objective. Absolutely. I mean, I think, regardless of just business owners, like moms and, you know, parents and, people who have these responsibilities in life, I think being sober makes everything better. For sure. It's harder. <laughs> it's harder, but that in the long run, it is better. Like you said, it's not that immediate escape or, you know, it's like putting a bandaid over a bullet wound. This is real life. <laughs> and real life is going to happen whether you're drunk or not. It's going to happen to you. There's consequences to your actions, whether you're drunk or not. I'm not a parent yet, and I look forward to the day when I am. But like my my good friend and my CFO actually has a five month old son, his first child, and that baby is up. It's he's up at five thirty in the morning every morning. He's just teething <laughs> right now, and like dude, dealing with that with a hangover, you're not going to be engaged. Like you might not be engaged even when you're sober because it's early in the morning and you're sort of you can gear up anyway and get it going. But the idea right. of being you know, emotionally absent or, or having escaped from some pretty foundational years in your kid's life. Like it, that, that doesn't seem like a very viable prospect to me, but also everything changes when you have a kid. So I can't, I can't wait for that, but I probably can't speculate yeah. on parent, parenting at this point. Yeah. Um, I know you said, you know, uh, instant gratification, escapism. How do you practice like getting in touch with yourself, you know, you said like the gym, um, you know, practicing other mindful activities. What do you personally do to, I mean, I guess stress management, right? Fully. And, and mm -hmm. stress is, you know, a critical component of the entrepreneurial bargain. People really want to dress up the idea of building your own company or starting your own thing as this you know dreamscape of awesome like set your own hours and you're your own boss but th there's a huge mm -hmm. debit side to that equation as well and the, the stress that you take on in even an upper level executive role when you're not the boss 
but you are contributing to the strategy. It just, mm-hmm. it never comes close to the thing you were, we're all playing in the entrepreneurial landscape without a safety net. You know, the, the last decision comes to me. And if that decision is wrong, there's no like committee, there's no secret working group that's going to help figure this out. Right. Uh, and so that stress management piece has been something that I, you know, I continue to work on and continue to evolve, but I think I've gotten a lot better at it, especially over the last three or four years. There was a time in my late twenties when Tantalus Labs was in dire straits. It was uh, a very dark time in the company's life when we didn't really have a lot of direction forward, uh, especially on government licensing. And so that required the internalization of patience, the internalization of a lack of clarity. And I think that that's where a lot of stress comes from in personal life and in also in, in business is the unknown unknowns, like the fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talk a lot about self-care and I think there's like a huge amount that CEOs especially need to do. And I think individuals on a day to day, you know, will benefit from, for me, like Mm -hmm. exercise and fitness has always been a big part of my life. Uh, Mm -hmm. and that is a great, a great escape. Like you, you go on a run. It's hard to think about anything except your lungs and your feet and your sore muscles for a while. And it puts you into a beautiful sort of Zen state. And then you get this really nice wash of naturally produced endorphins and, uh, and good, good hormones and chemicals afterwards. And so that, mm-hmm. that's always a really nice, you got to work for that reward. And then that reward comes. Um, and, and meditation is definitely a, a part of my lifestyle. I, I use it in different ways. Like sometimes you can go surfing and that's meditative. And sometimes you can make art or music and that's meditative, but just taking some quiet space to pay attention to your body, to pay attention to your emotions, to notice how you're feeling. Uh, and ultimately I think the biggest leap for me in the last probably year or so has been the, the desire and the drive to name emotions candidly. When you Mm. feel anxiety, that to me has always like been the trickiest part is trying to deny that anxiety exists. You know, maybe I'm still sort of suffering from vestiges of uh, masculinity or neoclassical masculinity, uh, you know, as, as being a, being a young man uh, raised by probably relatively conservative British parents, uh, they say, no, 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 this is fine. You know, anxiety, it's not anxiety, blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, when, when you feel something, you want to name that emotion. You want to say, oh, here it is. There's that old anxiety bug again. Uh, and, and then that allows you to, to intellectualize it to some degree and, and think it through. Um, and that, that, that emotional honesty is something that sobriety forces on your plate. Like it thrusts you into a, a reality where you have to be emotionally honest. And that's something that, um, as a young man and as a young leader, I'm, I'm continuing to try to get better at. I think we can all agree that anxiety is so 2023. Say peace out to anxiety and overwhelm with chill vibe gummies. Made with ashwagandha root, L-theanine, GABA, chamomile flower, and lemon balm, these gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO gummies are the perfect way to change your vibe naturally, and most importantly, safely. Whenever I tried medication for my anxiety, I was always hit with extreme side effects that made me feel paranoid or just completely numbed of all emotions, the good and the bad. Chill Vibe Gummies make you feel like you, just minus the anxiety. Go to vibegummies.com to get your gummies today. That's V-I-B-E gummies.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones happen when you put the work in to make them great. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships, whether with your friends, work, your significant other, 
or most importantly, yourself. My biggest fear is that I was unlovable, that something was just not good enough or deserving of love. My therapist has helped me to see that my thoughts are not necessarily the truth. Therapy has helped me overcome these limiting beliefs that were keeping me in unhealthy patterns in my life. We are our own worst critic, and I love that my therapist reminds me of how far I have come. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com A-S-G-G today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash A-S-G-G. Yes, that's great. I love naming that, like naming, naming those emotions. I actually call mine like Debbie Downer and Negative Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm to round it out. Characterize. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And, and I mean, you're going to have those days, right? Like the first yes. six months of my sobriety was really a beautiful time in my life because a lot of the stressors that I had been feeling associated with alcohol and shame around consuming alcohol and frustration with myself, not, you know, unleashing my full potential, which is really how I felt about the whole situation. Um, I, I didn't have those anymore. And so those first six months, it was like triumph every day. Like I was like, here I am. Like I'm on day 80, I'm on day 70, I'm on day 90. Like this is amazing. I'm, I'm continuing this trend and it's working for me. Uh, yeah. But over time, you know, you realize that you're still got to deal with your day-to-day life. You still have to deal with those frustrations and that emotional sobriety, that piece of, of saying, you know, I'm not going to ignore the pressing issues of my life or the frustrations in my life. I'm going to face them down and I'm going to face them down when they present themselves. That takes a degree of, of strength that, it, you know, everyone is going to be building their entire lives. I don't think anybody is perfect at that. And I think even sober people who've been sober 20, 30 years, they're still going to have tough days. They're still going to have frustrations and that's a perfectly human and reasonable you know, experience. Absolutely. So I want to switch gears and talk about Tantalus Labs. Awesome. How, how did this come to be? Like, <laughs> I think how? Just how? Just how? Uh, <laughs> it's it's a, a combination of amazing timing, like exceptionally lucky timing to be very early on this new industry. I, I yeah. noticed consultation documents that the government had put out, the government of Canada had put out that were considering a new approach to medical cannabis and that was mm. medical strictly medical cannabis at the outset um and that was in in 2012 and i said look you know here we are gearing up very quietly for a potential commercial cannabis industry um yeah. and what i really like to do is put teams of people together uh who are world-class experts in particular subject matters that may be able to use that expertise to then approach novel problems and mm. so the problems in cannabis that needed to be solved were how do you do commercial scale production? So in, in the black market in cannabis, there's uh, tens of thousands of very small cellular production environments, like, you know, 2000 square feet, a thousand square feet, people's basements, people's back sheds. Right. What we are trying to do in commercial cannabis cultivation is create a hundred thousand square foot environments where you could do consistent production of cannabis that also happened to necessitate that it was completely free of pesticides and adulterants. That was a really key Mm. component. 
of, uh, of the government's insight is that they, they, want, they didn't want to have the same risk profiles associated with unregulated pesticide use. So right. big agriculture, but done completely naturally, that's, mm-hmm. that's a difficult paradigm to solve. Mm-hmm. Then there's then there's the security piece, which is definitely a, was a huge tenet of, of the success of any of any viable firm in Canadian cannabis was how do you secure a greenhouse environment? Um, so I mean, how it really started was was me witnessing these potential changes, um, finding some awesome agricultural insight around my mm-hmm. my professional network, and then getting to getting to work, writing business plans, writing applications, writing uh, documentation around how we intended to deliver these outcomes that Health Canada had been seeking. Um, yeah. And we apply, applied for that license after about a year of work. And uh, yeah, we were, we were successful really early on. We were one of the first 15 firms to get an approval to be able to go and construct a facility. And uh, the rest is sort of history. We just kept adding more and more people to the team with, with brilliant you know, insight, diligent work ethic, creative mindset, and uh, and problem solvers, people with engineering backgrounds, people with creative backgrounds. And mm. that was really, I think, the key to the story for me was I'm good at some things, um, but I'm not nowhere near good at everything that you need to be good at to, to run a cannabis company. And so I, mm. I was really apt to hire people that were maybe smarter than me, that had better expertise than me, that were older than me. And mm-hmm. the, the willingness to get people on your team that are, are, you know, they have differentiated skill sets that you can then sort of collate and help manage. And now my role is very much to just get the obstacles out of those people's way. Like that's what I need to do right. is make sure that they have the ability to deliver their work in an efficient way. Um, and so I think, you know, it, it became an opportunity that keeps you up at night, sort of like I, I kept thinking about it. I, I kept, you know, the excitement didn't wane after a few months. I've seen a lot of projects where people get super excited at the beginning and then they kind of get over it and we just yeah. never got over it. And I mean, I'm not over it to this day. Like we're just scratching the surface on what right. we can do agri- agriculturally, what we can do from sustainable agricultural perspectives, what we can do from genetic perspectives. And there's just, you know, a thousand interesting problems to unlock. And, and that's definitely a, a truth of, among our entire team is this sort of weaponized curiosity. Everybody wants to solve the problems. Nobody wants to look at problems and say, oh, that's not something that I want to take on. When we get novel issues and we get novel problems, we're thirsty to, to figure them out. Um, yeah. So it's been, it's been a crazy journey to this, to this point. I hope I get to stay on the journey for another 20 years. When you change your relationship with alcohol, you realize you have so many hours in the day. I love to dedicate my time to skincare, and Osea makes me and my skin feel and look like a queen. Osea's clean, vegan, and sustainable body care is a glowing choice for achieving your body care and self-care goals. Whenever I use the Andaria LG Body Butter, people literally stop me on the street. My skin is flawless and glowing, and I love the thick and unbelievably rich texture that absorbs instantly. Skincare is a habit worth keeping all year round. Osea can help your skin have a healthy glow every day. Because let's be honest, skincare is self-care. With over 27 years of seaweed-infused products, Osea is safe on your skin and the planet. It is clean, vegan, and cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Never choose between your values and your best skin. Start the new year fresh with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, we have a special discount just for our listeners. 
Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code ASGG at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com and use code ASGG for 10% off. Wow. I mean, it sounds like you're an organic pot farmer. Way beyond organic, probably in our principles, but yeah. natural cultivation of cannabis is, uh, it's, it seems like a simple paradigm, but it's a, it's a difficult problem set for sure. Right. I mean, so when you say black market, does that mean, I mean, let's just really kind of get the definitions out of the way here. Um, does that mean like buying pot on the street? Like what does black market mean? So, I mean, I think probably a more appropriate term would be illicit market. I may have misspoke when I say okay. black market. It's like a colloquialism that we would use to refer to any unregulated cannabis production. So cannabis okay. production and sales that is happening outside of the government's you know, regulatory framework. And okay. generally, therefore, because it's not regulated, it's at a higher risk of being contaminated with pesticides. It's at a higher risk of being, you know, not what it says on the label. I think a lot mm. of people who buy illicit cannabis and are not, you know, heavy cannabis users, they, they might feel frustrated by the fact that it's usually a bit more potent than they might suggest. They say, oh, this is a nice mild cannabis. And then it ends up really knocking people's socks off. Yeah. And the, <laughs> I think it's people that are growing the cannabis and the people that are selling the cannabis are probably consuming quite a lot of it. And THC in particular, uh, Delta-9 mm-hmm. tetrahydrocannabinol is the primary psychoactive compound in, in cannabis. It's, it, has, it exhibits this really interesting habituation effect. If you smoked a super potent joint, you'd yeah. be very inebriated if you weren't used to it. And then if okay. the next day you smoke that same joint again, you'd be somewhat less inebriated. By the third or fourth day, you'd be very used to it. So, okay. you know... The, that habituation is also seen in things like opiates and, and other circumstances where you need to continually increase your dosage to be able to elicit the same psychoactive effect. And, okay. uh, and as a result, people who consume a lot of cannabis are probably not a good gauge of selection for people who consume you know, occasional cannabis. Uh, and that's, that's been a problem that we've been working really hard to solve, finding actually you know, high CBD strains, cannabidiol, which is another cannabinoid that it's a whole different profile of effects and is far less psychoactive than, uh, than THC, and then other lower order cannabinoids that will elicit you know, f- feelings of relaxation or well-being if used appropriately, um, but not quite the same feelings of, I mean, if you, if you ingest too much THC, it really does elicit a panic effect almost. Your heart rate will increase, you might perspire, and those are not ideal outcomes for, for people who are looking to dip their toes in the water of, of you know, something that they might derive therapeutic benefit for, from or find recreational benefit. We've really got to be the curators of those experiences. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, like the dosages. And I mean, I've, I'm going to be straight up with you. I want to kind of break down what's the difference between CBD and THC, because this is one of the most talked about subjects right now because you know CBD is so hot it's a buzzword if you will what is the actual difference and what like what should people be looking for this is an awesome question and i think one that's really not asked enough so mm-hmm. you know first of all molecularly they're two different molecules they work right. in the human body in a unique way 
they actually work in some other mammals in a similar way, but uh, not quite. There's no, there's not quite any plant-animal interaction. It's the same as cannabinoids in generality, all the cannabinoids and the human brain. Hmm. So THC works on your uh, CB2 and CB3 receptors in your brain, and it's an upregulator of serotonin and dopamine. Okay. And so the effect that it generally has is a, an inebriation that can cause, can elicit a feeling of, of well-being and relaxation. Uh, it also has a physiological effect uh, that can reduce inflammation. It can be used as a topical analgesic. Um, it's an extreme effectiveness, actually. The topical analgesic piece is a place where the science is really sound because it's easy to, to measure that in the lab environment. If you have an inflamed joint, say your, your knee, yeah. uh, and you apply hydromorphone to that knee, then the, it, the, the swelling will go down and you will see a, a increased blood flow and reduced inflammation. Uh, if you apply topical THC to that joint, you'll see an enhanced relative to even hydromorphone analgesic oh. effect. And, and reduce reduction in inflammation. So you don't just have to go by the sort of like self-rated, like I feel better, like it's actually something you can quantify, yeah. which is super cool. But if THC is taken in, in too high of a dosage, especially from an inexperienced user, mm -hmm. uh, it, it really excites your body. It can increase your heart rate, as I said. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can feel a feeling of, of warmth and, and you can feel an unease, a feeling of, of panic or, or frustration, fear. It, it, it sort of seems to work on, like our, our bodies have these really great, our minds have these great abilities to sort of ignore the, the white noise in our lives. Like when you're walking down the street, you're not paying attention to the car sound a block over or, you know, somebody walking towards you from a, from a distance. You're probably just mm -hmm. sort of in your, in your own world. THC appears to uh, unblock that, th those, those, you know, natural blinders that your body puts up. And mm. so you get really honed in on something you know, like uh, like a flower on a tree or, you know, perhaps people really like to listen to music when they're cannabis. They can really lose themselves in that. Watching movies and stuff like that is, a, you know, a common activity for people who enjoy consuming cannabis because mm -hmm. you can really hone in on the little details of things that you might naturally not, not respond to. Um, so when that goes too far, you find yourself kind of going down the rabbit hole on perhaps obsessive thoughts or paranoia or fear. And so that I think is the risk profile of THC is you really have to modulate your, your intake really effectively. Yeah. Now CBD is a whole other animal. It's uh, really interesting when taken in sufficient dosages, which I would probably say for like an average size human, you need quite a, a lot of it. If you took five milligrams or 10 milligrams of THC, you notice a psychoactive response. You probably need more like 30 or 40 milligrams of CBD and then okay. you're not you're not going to get the same sort of tangible psychoactive reaction. What's what CBD does really well is a sort of mild systemic anti-inflammatory. So okay. your whole body is going to feel a little lighter. Your whole body is going to feel a little bit more at ease. And then what people generally find is that then then that creates a secondary uh, effect of of feeling a bit more relaxed in your in your head. You're psychologically mm. going to respond to that physiological impact and you're, you're going to say, yeah, I feel kind of chilled out and, and mild. <clears throat> and so C CBD does not really have the same psychoactive high that you're going to get from THC, but that right. for many people is a feature. It's great. They're like, oh, this is great. I don't, I'm, I'm not going to get high. I can just get this sort of mild physiological 
response. Mm-hmm. And then what's really exciting is when you mix the two. And oh. CBD will inhibit your uptake of THC to some degree. And so you're far more likely to have a milder, like less um, panic-inducing or less negative experience when you consume both. And what I would say, especially for inexperienced users, is just like if you're gonna if you're gonna cross the bridge of okay, I want to mix these two things, a little bit of THC and quite a lot of CBD that seems to have the uh, the the most widely reported successful outcomes for people who are not really looking to get super high, but they mm-hmm. do want to experience the the physiological benefit of cannabis use. Wow, cool! Thank you for breaking that down for me. <laughs> it's a wild one, and we're still learning a lot. And I'm 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 not perfect yeah. in my knowledge base, but it's super interesting. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. It's just nice to clarify because you know you hear things circulating, especially on the internet and different chat rooms, and what what they actually do is is confusing. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, especially in the sobriety community, like we have a lot of people who really you know, they want to abstain from any mind altering substance. And I think that's, yeah. that's like such a, a beautiful and clear way to go about your, your sobriety choices. And certainly a lot of the programs, like even smart recovery, but certainly the 12 step program would advocate for a complete abstinence from any of those substances, mm-hmm. but across broader populations, like people that aren't necessarily uh, sober or going through those kinds of programs, we see really cool um, social statistics. Colorado is a great example uh, alcohol tax revenue in Colorado after the first year of legalization of cannabis went down about 25%. Really wow. substantial impact on what, uh, what appears to be a substitution effect away from right. alcohol towards cannabis. Now, notwithstanding people who don't want to consume any substances at all, which I totally applaud, if you're a casual drinker and you end up uh, consuming a bit of cannabis and that substitutes even partially away from the amount the, of alcohol that you're consuming, it creates really awesome long-term uh, health impacts. You're way right. less likely you know, to get sick. You're way less likely to have alcohol dependency. You're way less likely to have these alcohol-related impacts on your liver and kidneys and all these problems that really show up later on in life. It's hard for you to know when you're 30 how much alcohol is really affecting you, but if you're going to consume alcohol even habitually, but not not to the point of, of inebriation, but just mild alcohol consumption in your life does actually create negative health impacts. And you know, yeah. that's pretty well documented. And so even just a mild substitution effect then has ripple effects, less emergency room visits, less you know, end of life care stuff. And so there's there's a lot of good rationale to say, okay, if, if we're noticing a natural substitution away from alcohol use towards cannabis use across a broad population, that's actually probably a socially positive goal that will end up saving us healthcare money, saving us, you know, vehicular accidents and those kinds of things. Uh, those are statistics yeah. that are now, they're now starting to emerge. Yeah. I mean, this, this is a long game and I love how you said like drinking in your thirties or, you know, twenties, you're not going to really notice the effects of alcohol that the toll that it takes on your body until you're, you're older. And then it's kind of almost too late. Oh, fully. And like having a, a bad liver or like having, you know, I mean, alcohol can increase your likelihood of cardiac problems, increase your likelihood of stroke. Like these are not like health outcomes that you want. You want to be a healthy 60 year old. Like yeah. human lifespan is getting longer all the time. I, I, you know, our generation might live to 90 or a hundred. And if the last 20 years of your life are just like, you know, trying your best to keep your liver from falling apart, it's really not a lot of fun. So certainly old people, like my parents actually uh, 
in sort of solidarity with um, with my sister, especially, and then myself, they, they don't drink at all anymore. And they drank pretty lightly when I was growing up anyway. And yeah. they're seven one and they're swimming in the ocean all the time. They're going on massive long walks. They're sprightly 71 year olds. Wow. And I look at them relative to their peer group, many of whom still consume alcohol, you know, probably to excess. And they yeah. just look way younger. They look way healthier. They look like, you know, they're going to live another 20 years. And I hope they do. That is so cool. Just N equals one, small population, what I've observed. But yeah, yeah. Man, you, want, you want to be a healthy 70-year-old. That's what I want to be for sure. Hell yes, I do. Hell yes. <laughs> so, okay. This is the big question. This, are you ready for it? This is what's on everyone's mind. Are you still considered so being sober if you smoke pot? Such a huge question and an yeah. important one. Wow. And so I think first and foremost, something that everybody needs to define for themselves. There is no archetype to abstinence from alcohol. There's no archetype from sobriety. I find myself not using the term sober very often when describing my own personal journey. And okay. it's probably because I have, you know, a sibling that's so close to me that is, has done 12 steps, is in 12 steps, you know, is identifies with being a recovering alcoholic despite years of sobriety and, and will do for the rest of, of their life. <clears throat> and so I'm probably a little bit cagey about that word. Okay. But I think if, if, if you can find a way in your life, uh, first of all, if you identify alcohol as a, as a problem in your life, like I think that's the biggest trigger for me is like, is alcohol negatively impacting your life? Do you feel that it is negatively impacting, impacting your life? Do you feel shame around your alcohol use? Do you, do you worry that you use alcohol excessively? If you're, if you're feeling that that's sort of part of your narrative and mm -hmm. You have an ability to substitute away in a harm reduction type of strategy from alcohol, but you do require other substances, or at this point, you believe you require other substances to help you get away from that. As long as those other substances are less impactful on your body than alcohol, in aggregate across the world, that's probably a socially positive thing for you to do. So mm -hmm. I can't tell anybody, like, this is how you got to do it, and this is the reason why. And there's certain programs that do that and they do that really effectively and they create effective outcomes and effective communities by doing that. But me personally, I probably, I don't identify uh, with the term sober, but I do identify with the term alcohol free. And that's because cannabis for me does allow me to get into an altered mind state. It allows me to get into an altered mind state really quickly and efficiently without doing all of that work on exercise or, or um, meditation or anything like that that okay. we talked about earlier. And so I think you could probably perceive that as, as a crutch or as a segue and, and I'm sort of okay with that. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think that everybody's really got to define it for themselves and ultimately your self-reported feelings of happiness or success. These are the things that you really should be looking at. So if complete sobriety, complete abstinence from any substance, any mind altering substance, uh, is, is what works for you and that makes you feel really good and makes you feel like you're, you're making positive strides in your life, then you should follow that course. If you're not quite there and, and you think that you know, a, bit of, a bit of cannabis is, is useful for you and it's enriching your life, then that's totally fine too in my world. And in, in, I don't really pass emotional judgment on other people who are like trying to trade off different substances anyway, but I think yeah. that that's, that's powerful and that's valuable. 
what you got to keep a close eye on is if you're using that cannabis or, or any other substance in an abusive way. Mm. And I think we all sort of see the same trends. We understand that like when you're relying on it every morning, when you're relying on it to excess, these yeah. are things that you definitely need to keep an eye on. Now, interestingly, when you look at percentage of user base that self-reports negative experiences, the self-reporting alcohol-dependent population is about 25% of all alcohol users. 25% would say, I use alcohol in an inappropriate way or I use alcohol in a way that's negative in my life. So there's probably even more people that are using alcohol and they're just not quite ready to admit it yet. In cannabis, that's only about 9% of users. Only about 9% of users say, I am consuming cannabis to excess and it is detrimental to, to my work or to my family or to the rest of my life. So there may be, uh, you know, a, a differentiation there and there, there may be, and I don't know really what the chemistry is, but like an interesting, you know, relationship between the human brain and cannabis that it, it, it appears as though it's less likely to be abused than alcohol. Okay. Um, but once again, it's something that everybody needs to define for themselves and it's something that everybody needs to, you know, figure out on their path to, to happiness and success. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's your intention behind it too. Like, what are you, I mean, it could be anything, you know, even your phone or shopping or gambling. Like, what is your intention behind these actions? Fully. And like gambling, like it'd be pretty hard for somebody who is gambling all the time to say, wow, this gambling habit that I have is really enriching to my life. It helps me hone in on the moment and I love my loved ones more deeply because of it. Um, you know, cannabis in a positive use case, in, in a in a in a use case that at least for, for me mm-hmm. provides benefit, I'm using it to get deeper in touch and, and more in touch with things like you know the natural world around us or a social environment where I really want to engage with somebody. I find that like for me personally, it, it probably enhances my empathy to some degree. Like I'm really interested oh. when someone is telling me a story or, or you know, talking about their life. It, yeah. it sort of helps me lean into that moment. Um, but it's taken me a long time to figure out how to use cannabis appropriately because I used to a lot of cannabis when I was in high school and university. And it was definitely just about getting super stoned, like as stoned as you can right. get. I think that that's probably a, a, it was a negative feedback loop then. It would be a negative feedback loop now. So it's all about the maturity of the perspective which you use to to approach a substance and no substance is like universally perfect and no substance is universally negative they're just molecules and you got to make your own judgment as to to you know how you can derive benefit from it mm, i like that i like that a lot um it's very interesting like you're a numbers guy being in finance and you're very well spoken it's just it's interesting how when I asked you that question, it was all about emotion. Like, you, you know, you threw, you threw out com- like some numbers and stuff, but the main like heart of it was how you feel at the end of the day. You know, what's your intention? It's, it's just really interesting to hear that. Well, fully. And, you know, like my professional practice and skill set, like, you know, obviously is taking me towards a, a good understanding of like how to derive truth or, or facts, but there's no, there's no facts or truth about how, how well or how effectively you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm using this substance and I know that it's, it's working for me. Mm-hmm. Or I'm using this substance and I know that it's not. 
And that degree yeah. of emotional honesty, like back to the, 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 like when I, when I'm at a social event and people are asking me about why I don't drink in a lot of cases, that's probably holding a mirror up to their own usage and saying, is if this guy doesn't drink, you know, is he, yeah. is he, his abstinence trying to tell me that my usage is bad. And I think even if you're questioning that, you have to explore it. You have to look inside and say, you know, is this really a beneficial pathway for me to achieve my long-term goals in life, which I think are, are you know, they're not universally synonymous, but having a healthy family life, having loved ones, having a strong community. These are mm -hmm. things that we all seek. We all emotionally desire those things, Maslow's hierarchy, all that stuff. Um, but like, yeah, if, if you, if you are ignoring the problem with cannabis or with alcohol, then that's, that's on you. You've got to do that inward looking work. And if you know truthfully in your own heart and in your own, in your own emotional mindset that you can use cannabis and you can, you can use it in a way that's productive for yourself, then no one else can tell you you're wrong. Yeah. Dan, you are amazing. Thank you so, so much for sharing your knowledge, the facts about cannabis and your own experience. I really appreciate it. It's been such a privilege. And, and honestly, like <clears throat> I live a life where I get to wake up pretty excited every day. This hasn't always been true for me, but it's definitely been true, you know, for the gross majority of the seven years that I haven't been consuming alcohol. And I would say to anybody in your audience who's, who's considering it, who's thinking about maybe this, you know, might be something I should try, or maybe this is something that uh, would, would yield interesting results. Do experiments on yourself. Take 30 days off, take 60 days off. And I guarantee that you're going to notice differences. And if, if, you know, that works for you, I have, I haven't, I don't think I've ever spoken to somebody who's taken on abstinence from alcohol or sobriety that hasn't reported that it's drastically changed their lives for the better. And yeah. uh, for me, it was a scary door to walk through. And as soon as I walked through it, I would never look back. So really proud to be uh, somebody who, who isn't consuming alcohol today. Today I am sober. Today I'm healthy. And, uh, and it's a bright and beautiful day. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much, Dan. I just love Dan and I love his perspective. And he's right. What do you have to lose? 30 days, 90 days, get a little sober curious with yourself and dip your toe in the, in the booze-free pool. Guarantee you'll like it. The water's nice and warm. I could go on for hours like this. <laughs> As always, thank you guys so much for listening. Couldn't do this without you. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and give us a little feedback. We love to hear what you have to say. Follow us on social media at A Sober Girl's Guide on Facebook and Instagram. And make sure to check out the blog. We have lots of great how-to, tips and tricks, lots of awesome articles up there for you. And the workbooks are coming in hot, fresh off the press. These are instant downloadable workbooks to get you started ASAP. Slay your anxiety with an anxiety workbook full of exercises and worksheets to help you work through your toughest of anxieties. And plan your sober plan of action with our workbook and journal. Build a solid framework for your sobriety and your sobriety journey today. All these awesome workbooks, which I have personally used and developed myself, are available now at a sobergirlsguide.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great day.